0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week.
1: Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Nick Ragone. Nick is the Senior Vice President, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Ascension Health. The largest nonprofit health system in the United States. In this interview, Nick talks about the experience of coming in and taking what was essentially a lot of different hospitals and healthcare providers, each with their own distinct brand, and forging them into a single brand with a unified brand experience. It's a really great episode for anyone who is managing a rebrand or really anyone who's thinking seriously about creating a brand experience. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast
2: or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. On the other line, Lauren bacarello what's going on?
3: Not much. It is a beautiful, beautiful day in San Francisco. I think we are finally on the other side of the rain. Yes,
2: yeah, spring is sprung, as they say. And we are excited for our special guest. Nick, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? It's a wonderful day to talk about all things marketing and The New Frontier for Healthcare, which we're going to get into your background, marketing, and what you're working on at Ascension Health. But first, how'd you get into marketing?
4: Uh, It's a good question. I took a a rather circuitous journey. um, I'm a lawyer by training. I went to Georgetown Law School and and, uh, practiced for a few years, didn't like it. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer long term and got into marketing through public relations. Uh, My first big job was at Edelman, which is a global PR firm doing fine, financial communications and issues crisis management and sort of meandered my way into marketing, which is really just storytelling, which is not dissimilar to being a trial lawyer. You're telling a story, obviously, to a different jury and not a, the court of public opinion. But I think there's actually a lot of similarities between great marketing and great lawyering, which at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's telling a shareable story, whether it's to a jury or to the public writ large. And so that's how I kind of made my way over to marketing.
2: That's pretty interesting. Well, any any takeaways from uh, your law days that are directly applicable?
4: Sure. I, I mean, I, well, I didn't love being a lawyer. I enjoyed law school. Going to Georgetown was great. I tell people all the time, it's great training, whether you want to be a lawyer or something else. But a few of the things that I sort of picked up during my my law school days was, well, one was Georgetown still works on the Socratic method, which means you get up in front of class and you you defend a case or argue a case with the professor for 90 minutes. And it's a great way to teach you how to think on your feet and extemporize and apply fact patterns and legal analysis. And it's good for, uh, you know, it's good for anybody's development as you become, if you work in a large corporation or organization like I do, being able to think on your feet and to extemporize and to um, have conversation, fluid conversations important. So that was one of the skills I learned. And then Certainly uh, being a lawyer teaches you how to think in a linear fashion from A to B to C and kind of connect the dots. And again, it's about telling that shareable story, whether it's using the law or using and marketing creative content. But it's, it's thinking in a very linear fashion and making it easy for people to follow along. And so those are two things that even though I don't, you know, I haven't practiced for 20 years, I still use in my, my daily job.
2: So how did you get to your current role at Ascension Health and what does marketing look like there?
4: Um, I came here about five years ago. I was, uh, prior to that, I was running the Washington office for Ketchum Communications, which is a global marketing firm and doing that and enjoying it. And a recruiter came and said, you need to go visit these guys in St. Louis called Ascension. It's the largest hospital system and came out here and called my wife from the airport and said, "Uh, we're moving to St. Louis. Uh, It was just an amazing opportunity, exciting time to come join, you know, a $24 billion healthcare system. It's a great industry to be in right now. Healthcare—it's going through dramatic change. There's lots of issues to tackle, and it's also, uh, you know, more fun I think to be on the client side and be internal where you really can have influence and shape uh, what your organization's doing. And so, that's how I came over here, and it's—it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, we when I got here, you know, marketing in the hospital space was kind of uh, not not an afterthought, but was not a critical factor in a hospital companies' operations, but with all the changes going on and the fact that consumers have a m- lot more information and are empowered to make their decisions about their own care, hospital systems like ourselves are beginning to rethink that relationship that we have cons- with consumers. And so it's, uh, it's a really, really exciting time to be in the healthcare space and be in the marketing space, and particularly with, with hospital systems.
3: How did you find the transition from going agency side to in-house?
4: Um, I found it easier than I would have thought. I took all those skills I had learned over 20 years being in an agency about great client service and, you know, thinking quick on your feet, thinking about the bottom line and how to use marketing to drive growth and deliver results, uh, return on investment, collaboration, all those fundamental skills really do come in handy when you're on the client side, whether it's the chief marketing officer or some other position. But uh, so I, I kind of used all those experiences, and it gave me a solid foundation to then do what I do here, which is to help shape the narrative about our organization. And and so a lot of uh, my colleagues at uh, on the agency side always wonder, you know, do my skills translate to the to the client side to being in house? And I always say it does. The skills that you learn over 20 years about storytelling, about influence, about collaboration, about growth and measurement and shaping a company's identity, they all apply to being within an organization as well. You, you know, you have different resources, you have a different point of view, but those fundamental building blocks are still there.
3: What's the, the best piece of advice you can give someone who is making that, making that same transition? Any lessons learned? Any things you wish you would have known?
4: Uh, you know, the one thing that I, the most critical element I think to success is if you go from an agency where things move really quickly to a a large company like ours is you got to be patient. You have to socialize the concept. You know, you're not a consultant. You're not just throwing ideas out there. You have to actually have ideas, but then also help execute them and you have to be a bit more patient. You know, big ideas within an organization take socializing. You need to win over stakeholders. You need to cascade it properly. It's not simply, you know, you're a consultant, and you lob in a big idea and then you go away and, so, that's the one thing that I encourage people who make that transition is you got to learn a little bit of patience.
3: So, I think that's great advice.
2: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, patience is a good segue to, you know, marketing within healthcare. What are some of those challenges that you've encountered within, you know, healthcare? You have so many different types of people and the way that they view healthcare. That there's potentially, you know, and we had a great interview previously with healthcare, which I don't know if it'll be live yet by the time this one goes, where that brand experience is so valuable. We're creating a brand experience within healthcare and how people view that, not just a place that they go when they're sick. What are some of the things that you've done to make that type of brand experience within healthcare something that is much more, you know, friendly, palatable? value added, like what's your kind of approach there?
4: It's a good question. My approach has been A, to create a brand. So when I got here five years ago, Ascension was essentially a holding company for a lot of local brands. And uh, when I started, we began this journey to integrate our operations, which means our clinical operations and our business operations into one, one company. So no longer a holding company model. And with that, we needed to figure out, you know, how do you create one national Ascension brand versus 20 local brands? And that's a, that's a big transformation. It's the largest rebranding ever in the hospital space. And uh, it, it's been a five year journey. I started it five years ago, when near completion now, but the, the lesson learned for me that I, I tell others and I get asked all the time or I speak on it at conferences is, uh, if you're gonna rebrand on the scale that we did, it's a very inside out process, meaning you have to start internally and socialize the concept with all your stakeholders, get them excited by it. Uh, In our case, it took really a year and a half to get that internal buy-in with all of our physicians and our clinicians and our market leaders and even our community, our boards and others, because it's a, you know, brand's a very emotional thing. You don't just change a name and it's done. We took our time and made it an inside-out process. And then once we had kind of our brand ambassadors lined up and people really excited by it, then we started the external part, which is changing signage and doing all the things that are traditional and a rebranding. And now what does that national brand allow you to do for us? It allows us to have more of a, a direct to consumer relationship as our consumers, whether they're in Tennessee or Austin or Indiana, wherever they are, we want them to identify with the Ascension experience. So if you're at a physician group in Texas or senior living in Tennessee or uh, a service line in, in Pensacola, Florida, or something else, if you're going to an Ascension site of care, you have an expectation. It's going to be a a great experience with great care at an affordable price. And so to create that consistent brand experience, you have to first have a consistent brand, which is uh, what we're doing now, creating a national brand that is consistent, that delivers on a consistent experience. So no matter where you are or what type of site of care you're visiting, if it's an Ascension site of care, you have a similar experience, similar expectations of quality and affordability and so we're in the process of doing that. It's a long journey, but it's an important one.
2: That's pretty interesting. So do you, what are some of the ways that you did that inside the company? Like, what are some of the ways that you kind of led that organizational change?
4: A couple ways. One was we did uh, a lot of um, experiential communications, which is a fancy, it's a fancy term, but what it really means is, you know, we have 170,000 employees allowing them to experience the change versus just sending the memos. And in this case, we did engagement maps, which um, I think a really powerful communications tool, it, it's kind of a visual way to describe change that's about to happen. And you get a group of associates around looking at a, a sort of physical map of something. In our case, it was our rebranding and our moving to a integrated company and allowing them to, to talk about it and, and sort of verbalize what they're seeing on the map and what gets them excited, what gets them anxious. And so we did a lot of these experiential communication things like engagement maps, where we allowed people to talk about what they're seeing, what their anxieties are, what was making them excited and so forth. And it really, it allowed us to socialize the concept versus sending out a memo to 170,000 people and then hoping that they understand it, which, you know, memos are wonderful, but they don't really get to the, it tells the how you're going to do something. It doesn't get to the heart of why in a very visceral way. And so we found that these engagement maps are really a terrific way to, to allow all, all of our associates to participate in this journey to becoming a national brand versus just telling them we're becoming a national brand.
3: And how, how did the, the 170,000 employees react? What, what happened? Were they excited? Um...
4: It was kind of a, a cycle, right? You, when we started, you know, there was a lot of trepidation and a little bit of anxiety, which is natural because you're going from a brand that you've known for a 100 plus years to something that you don't really know. And with that comes a little bit of what I call emotional dislocation. And that's not why we took so long to cascade it internally and really discuss it is because we didn't want to simply announce it and then begin changing out signage. And so I think it, it, it began with a little bit of nervousness and trepidation. And 18 months later, by and large, our associates were brand ambassadors. They understood where we were going to and how we were creating this national brand and why we were creating it and what it was going to allow us to do and how it was going to meet the changing needs in the healthcare landscape. And so it, it was a little bit of a migration from, you know, day one, a little bit of anxiety to 18 months later, after months and months of months of discussing it and socializing it and experiencing it and cascading it you know, we created a large cohort of associates that were, that had become brand ambassadors. And so I think that's a critical element of success is if your own associates don't become brand ambassadors, don't expect anybody else to. Do you think that
2: your patients and your customers like really, I, I don't want to say saw this coming, but, uh, cause that doesn't really make sense, but embrace the change or like, were cognizant of what was going on like how did you communicate with your with your customers like with all of the patients that this was going on that this was something that's important what type of things outside of the organization did you do kind of like strategically and tactically that allowed people to like understand that something that potentially they already love the way it was is going to change
4: well that's where you know once we we uh, so we spent 18 months socializing this internally once we were ready, we announced that externally and we we did a heavy marketing around it. Uh, Traditional TV, radio, print at a home, uh, and then online marketing as well. But making the point that, you know, the the care that you've always known and loved at Seton is only gonna get better now that it's Ascension Seton, meaning we're gonna use the resources from around the country to bring to your care. Uh, We did a lot of focus grouping, a lot of customer insights, a lot of qualitative and quantitative research. And the thing that we learned is At the end of the day, nobody cares about the name change. They only care about what does it mean for their care. And if it means that you're going to bring more resources to their care, they liked it. And if it doesn't mean that, they don't like it. And so by and large, our patients accepted it and adopted it quickly. Uh, Our name ID in our markets now, the Ascension name ID is just as high as our legacy names. Uh, But they really, you know, we emphasize in our marketing, it was about the care that we're going to deliver for you. It's not about changing a name. Nobody cares about a name change. They care about what does it mean for my care? And so, so long as you focus on that, the name change is kind of immaterial. And so we, we really emphasize that in our marketing, that this is still, you know, the same care that, you know, and love, but even better because we have more resources, more attention. It's more personalized for you. What if any pushback did you get on that? Uh, we got no pushback from the communities. Um, like I said, our, our 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 name ID is higher than it used to be, and the perception of quality is even higher. So that's great. I think some of our local board members at first were a little hesitant because they, were, you know, they grew up in Tennessee and Nashville at St. Thomas for a hundred years, or St. Vincent's in Jacksonville, and so the board the board members at times were a little bit worried about it. But we did a lot of focus grouping in those markets, and we showed that research to the board and said. You know, the community doesn't view it the same way. They just want to know that the care is going to be great. So long as it is, they're fine with the name change. But we took our time and did a lot of this research and focus grouping so that our board and our doctors and others who, you know, were a bit more skeptical about it, could see the data firsthand. We even had some of them sit in on focus groups and see it firsthand, the verbatims about how the name on the side of the building, for most people, it's immaterial. It's really about the care that they received inside the four walls of that care setting And that's what they care about. That's what forms the brand. The sign doesn't form a brand. It's the quality of the care.
3: And I think that's a good point. Of you know that we can take away as marketers of it's not just the standard marketing materials and artifacts that represent your brand, but it's every single employee and the actions of every single employee are the representative of your brand and who you what you stand for as a company.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that eighteen month rollout is is pretty. Pretty cool that it took that long. I mean, you see, especially in like tech, you see like, you know, company rebrands or logo rebrands. I mean, Lauren, I, you could speak to this, but definitely, definitely doesn't take 18 months. It's like, hey, we're going to roll this. Uh, we changed the logo, we're rolling it out. We're going to post this on Medium or you know, wherever on our blog. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of how it is. Much less thought put into it.
3: Oh, absolutely. We, <coughs> excuse me, we don't have 18 months to do anything. <laughs> it yeah. is. How, if we actually 18 months is probably two rebrands <laughs> in some companies, Yeah,
4: that's, that's true. Yeah.
3: but it's the, how do we go? How do we go as quickly as possible? And if yeah, you Yeah,
4: look- one of the things I like to say yeah. is a, a brand is a promise. A great brand is a promise kept as a marketer. I help make that promise, right? I don't keep that promise. There's 170,000 people that keep it. And the keeping of the promise is much more important than the making of the promise. And so that's, I remind people of that every day.
2: I wanted to, switch gears a little bit into just some general CMO stuff because i think you know it seems like you've had a lot of time to kind of like get into the role plan some things that are off into the horizon how do you structure your team what's like what's the you know general size of your team what type of activities are you doing what activities are you excited about and you know marketing challenges to kind of push the level of uh, with this new brand, to like get this out into new places and make a difference.
4: Uh, sure, I mean I, uh, you know, my marketing team. I inherited a great team, but it was mostly spread out over the country. So we had teams in every one of our markets. And so one of the things I did was kind of consolidated into one marketing organization versus having twenty separate teams that had separate reporting structures and separate skill sets. They all used their own agencies. They all did everything twenty different ways, and so. We consolidated all that, used, you know, one agency of record that all the marketing teams now report under me versus reporting to their local markets, created an essential marketing community. So I'm a big believer that a team is a team, whether it's uh, based in Austin, Texas or, or Jacksonville or Pensacola or St. Louis, we're all one marketing team. And I try to standardize the, you know, the way we do things. In some markets, we had great data in other markets we didn't. And so we created an analytics team in St. Louis. We insourced all of our own media buying. We took on a lot of the functions that we had been outsourcing to agencies. I'm a big believer in insourcing, uh, doing something for yourself because you're going to be closer to that. You're going to care about it more. And ultimately, you could do it more affordably. And so uh, we insourced a lot of those functions. We put an emphasis on data and analytics. We augmented our marketing. It used to be just all qualitative marketing, which is mostly TV and radio and out of home. And We still do a lot of that qualitative stuff, but we do much more quantitative too, which is data driven marketing, mostly online, search engine optimization, text messaging, email, using data to kind of target the right message to the right person through the right channels. I like to say the end of one marketing. So it's now a mix of qualitative and quantitative marketing to create that broad awareness, but then target somebody to, to go to a specific site of care. Are there
2: any particular campaigns that you've done over the past five years or even in your career? that you're particularly proud of or are your favorites?
4: Yeah, the campaign we're running right now, it's um—it's called Listening to You, Caring for You, and it's all about great listening. And it was born out of the research that we did the focus grouping over and over again. Consumers told us that, you know, they expect great clinical outcomes when they go to a hospital system. What they really want is a great experience. And when they say experience, it translated into that we want our docs to listen to us. And by listening, it's not just... You know, your doctor looking at a clipboard checking boxes, that's not listening. As one focus group respondent put it, I want nose-to-nose listening. And we said, what's that? And They said, "Look, you know, I want to be nose-to-nose. Look me in the eye and, and let me talk. Let, let me be engaged in my own care. And that's a kind of novel experience uh, in the provider space. And so we based our whole campaign around that. We're listening to you and we're caring for you. And it's been a, an enormous success. It's resonating because intuitively people see it, understand Wow, if they're listening to me, they're developing more personalized care plan. If it's a more personalized care plan, it's going to lead to a better outcome. We just started running that in the last six months, and it's been a huge hit.
2: How are you tracking some of those results?
4: Uh, A couple ways. Through our brand tracker survey, which we do quarterly, just to see where our awareness is. Our awareness is way up, and their perception of great quality is way up, which we attribute to this campaign. And then the other way is through online scheduling. It's a great way to see what people are actually doing. They're voting with their feet. They're scheduling an appointment online. And since we've run the campaign, our online scheduling is shot through the roof. So we know it's creating more awareness. It's also getting people to schedule appointments online. Yeah,
2: that's pretty cool. Do you find that leveraging a bunch of the offline things that point to online tools or online scheduling or things like that have a a bigger effect? I mean you know, I think especially for healthcare, you have a lot of the challenges that, you know, people go when they are sick. So you need to be front of mind, right place, right time. But oftentimes that's kind of difficult to, uh, to know when that's going to happen other than in like SEO search results or something like that. How do you kind of blend those two mediums with like the brand awareness, brand lift kind of stuff with like a, a place that they can take action immediately?
4: Yeah, it's just that it's a blend. So we, we, um, you know, I, I believe in, especially as you do a rebrand, you have to have brand awareness, right? But brand awareness only gets you so much. Ten years ago, it was the whole ball game because in our healthcare model back then, which was, you know, predominantly fee-for-service and, and reimbursement was great for everybody. You just needed awareness. Today, that world doesn't exist anymore. You need awareness, but then you need to drive them, consumers, to an access point, whether it's telemedicine, online scheduling, primary care, urgent care, the ED, something. And that's where online scheduling not only actually facilitates it, but it's a, it's a form of measurement because you can see, you know, and you can use your quantitative marketing to drive people to a certain site of care, whether in one market, it's a neighborhood hospital, another market, it might be an urgent care and another market, it might be primary care, but you could see through the online scheduling numbers, what people are doing. So I'm a big believer in that having that right blend of quantitative and qualitative marketing to drive people. It's it's all about, to me, the end of one, right? I'm marketing to an individual, not to you know, the more specific my marketing can be to get somebody to do something, the better it's going to be. And so having that right blend of qual and quant is critical.
2: What about some of the worst campaigns that you've, you've done or maybe one particular campaign? And it doesn't have to be, you know, in the, in the current role, but something that you've seen over your career that just flat out, you know, didn't work for one reason or another.
4: I mean, I won't single anything out. I'll tell you um, the underlying connective tissue that I see, and I'm not talking about my own work, in particular, but just in general with poor marketing is and this runs true in every vertical whenever I, you know, the difference in good marketing, bad marketing is that there's no pull through on the brand. Meaning I see great commercials all the time that create nostalgia, they create emotion, they create all this stuff, but it's so attenuated from the actual delivery, the service or the product that there's no connection. And, you know, it's a great ad and you have no recall for what it was. You know, you have no idea what it's asking you to do you know, I like the ads. I see ads over and over and I always love them. And I'm like, I still don't know who, who, not that who it's for, but what you're asking me to do there. There's no connective tissue. There's no pull through as we say in marketing speak. And I think great marketing really has to do, it has to work on multiple levels. It needs to quickly attach you to that brand. It needs to have a very discreet ask. What, what is it about this that I want you to do? And then it needs to be measurable in some way. And so And and ideally it's wrapped in kind of a a memorable creative spot so that it's something that's entertaining and interesting and memorable. And you'll, it's a shareable story onto its own. And you, the consumer, you have recall on that ad and, and you know what the product or the service is. And so, you know, we try to keep that in mind with our marketing. It's, you know, it it needs to be Ascension branded. It needs to be something that is moving and inspirational because that's our brand promise. And it needs to be connective to a a particular, you know, a site of care or something that a service line and a care model, something that we want you to remember about that. And great marketing needs to work on all three levels: on a a great brand, uh, a great, you know, sort of emotional creative tie-in, and a great pull-through. And that's not easy to do. If you watch any of the Super Bowl ads, you know, one out of five might actually accomplish that. The rest of them are, you know, creative spots that have no pull-through or pull through that has no creative concept and it's pretty boring and it's all verbiage. And so, uh, it's not as easy as it looks, even though everybody wants to be a marketer.
2: Do you think that we get caught up a little bit in like creating a great 30 second spot, like, uh, you know, creating the experience of the ad and like, man, that, that felt pretty good. Or that was a cool story told in 30 seconds or things like that, rather than, you know, the marketing results. I mean, and I'll say this in our conversation with Alexandra Morehouse, who's, uh, you know, was one who who did the Steph Curry campaign with with Kaiser Permanente. One of the things that, you know, like we talked about in that episode was how taking this bet on, you know, so this up and coming basketball player that didn't, you know, wasn't wasn't really anything in this kind of Warriors team that could grow into something big. I see a lot of these TV spots where it's like, it's not even tied to a larger like set of spots or anything like that it doesn't necessarily even pull through like any type of line other than that this one spot was like kind of a cool artistic achievement.
4: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you... sometimes creative, uh, you know, and this is my knock against big agencies, you know, the geniuses at big agencies tend to fall in love with their own creative and it's, it's creative in search of a solution. And that's backwards, right? I, I, you know, and sometimes they fall in love with their own creativity and they lose sight of what's the intended goal of the spot. And so, you know, I like to, Reverse engineer it. Look at what's what's the problem to be solved. What are we solving for the consumer? If it's convenience and online scheduling, we could do a spot around that. You know, the pull through needs to work really hard. That it's all about online scheduling and convenience, and the creative needs to match it. We don't start off with creative and then find a sol- a problem for it to solve. You know, you think about the problem to be solved, and then what's a creative way to create strong pull through? The creative is only supposed to highlight the strong pull through. If it's just creative for the sake of creative, which happens a lot, it's gonna be meaningless.
2: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of why I bring up this the Steph Curry example and the and the Warriors example from back then. You know, they had this Thrive campaign that perfectly played into, you know, Steph Curry as an athlete who struggled with injuries thriving, right? And so the consistency of all of those spots, which like I remember, you know, those type of spots, you have something that like again is pairing the person their story and the message that they ended up wanting to get get towards and i think that stuff like that is potentially you know a lot more expensive or a lot a lot more expensive but at least you have something that is memorable that the person can can end up doing and i think you know especially for these like really expensive shoots where you're talking about spending a lot of dollars on the creativity of the spot and it just kind of doesn't necessarily do what you needed to do or or it's run as a tv ad you know a handful of times and then shelved for the rest of eternity you're like man how much did you spend on that spot to to have it go nowhere
4: yeah like i said when i watch the super bowl ads i'm uh i'm watching it as a marketer thinking you know evaluating it what are they trying to do what's that balance between sort of catchy, creative, strong pull through, you know, shareable story. And so unfortunately I can't watch anything normally. I, I'm always looking yeah. at it through the lens of my job, but I also, you know, you learn from some good spots, but you more importantly learn from the bad spots. Absolutely.
2: Let's get into some lightning round. Lightning round is fast and
4: easy. What do question. I get? What do I get for winning?
2: Uh, you get, I mean, we can get you uh we can get you a, a free, uh, a free license to Pardot. I just got to talk to them, talk to the Pardot people. Um, I, so I was
3: going to say, what about one of those fancy new Mission, mission t-shirts?
2: Oh yeah, you can get a Mission tee. Anytime. Yeah, That's cool. Thanks to our friends at Pardot. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Are you ready? Yep. What
4: app are you using
2: on your phone that is the most fun?
4: Uh, chess.com. I'm an avid chess player and it's, great way to play against other people online
3: what was your favorite book you've read recently
4: um i read a book on the wright brothers by david mccullough uh, and i actually went out to visit their birthplace in dayton ohio and where they uh, their first bicycle shop was and anybody looking for a great biography hey you can't go wrong with david mccullough and the wright brothers is an awesome one
2: what ad campaign have you seen recently that you're most envious of
4: um, hmm. I love everything by Geico, and because it's funny, and there's always the same pull through, which is you know, if we could save you, uh, you know, whatever fifteen percent, fifteen minutes, whatever it is. So I just love their work in general. I mean, how they've kept it creative for fifteen years is pretty amazing. I like the progressive ads. It's the same way. I mean, they built storylines around Flo and 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 Jamie and the other characters, and it doesn't get stale. It doesn't get boring. I like Farmers. I think Farmers has done some interesting stuff with uh, J.K. Simmons. Again, it's, you know, I think their tagline is something like, uh, we know it because we've seen it. And so I I, I like, you know, and two of them are in the insurance space. And I think, or actually they're all in the insurance space. Those are some of the hardest working ongoing campaigns that they're not one-offs, right? The Geico spots, you could tell by the humor it's Geico. And uh, progressive now. I mean, they're they're. It's almost like a sera, uh, you know, fictionalized series. I mean, it's amazing how they they're actually into now character development, and it and it always gets back to though. It's you know, it's the place to go for the best quote. Those are three that just immediately jump to mind.
3: What advice do you have for a first time CMO?
4: Listen a lot, travel, and listen. Uh, especially if you're in a, a job like mine where you have 22 markets. Get out on the road and listen and observe and learn. My whole career, I've talked more than listen as a consultant, and the biggest change I've had since becoming a CMO is I listen more than talk.
2: What's one question that you wished people would ask you more that they don't?
4: Well, I, you know I wish I wish my colleagues would at times uh, think about marketing uh, in a different way, which is not you know the creative wrap around a new service or offering. rather bring us in much earlier on the insights part to really try to figure out what is our differentiator in the market and and what could be a product or service or an offering that gets to that and then how can we market it? So I sometimes wish I was brought earlier into the process.
2: What do you do for fun?
4: Um, A lot of chess. My son's a chess player. I'm a chess player. I love to play golf. I love baseball. I'm a diehard New York Mets fan, which is both exhilarating and painful at the same time. Uh, I it, love
3: to read. Oh, you were a Mets fan.
4: Uh, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a uh, lifelong New Yorker. I'm so a,
3: I, I also am a very. I'm a Giants fan because I live here, but I'm a Mets fan at heart.
4: Well, at least the Giants win every couple of years, and the Mets, it's been a long time. But um, I, and I've, I've raised my my kids to be Mets fans, so if I'm going to suffer, they're going to suffer with me.
3: You know what? It's good. It's good to build that character and get used to losing. Like this is. This is how I felt since 1987.
4: Those are good
2: life lessons. <laughs> yeah. My, my mom was a uh, diehard Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Uh, and so she adopted the the Mets when the Dodgers left. Pretty great.
3: Same with my family.
2: Old school. Okay. Last question for lightning round. What thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing?
4: Um, I think this idea of marketing towards the end of one, particularly in healthcare. I mean, uh, the more and more data we, we can get about, you know, healthcare marketing tends to be a little bit behind other verticals like retail and services and CPG. And so we're now just figuring out, you know, how to use data. I'm not talking about somebody's clinical data, but just aggregated data to make more predictive bets about what type of message through what channel is going to appeal to what type of person and move them into what side of care. And so we're in this infancy of data driven CRM driven and of one marketing And uh, I think that's really exciting because there's a lot of undiscovered country in that space when it comes to healthcare marketing. Now, other verticals already do that. We we do not. We've never had to. And so we're beginning to do it combined with a strong brand. I think, you know, a strong brand is kind of the undergirding of any great company, having a strong, trusted, reliable brand, but then getting into this kind of very targeted end of one marketing is going to allow that brand to be personalized to the individual.
2: I love it. Nick, any other final thoughts? This has just been awesome. And uh, we really appreciate taking the time to hang out and talk all things, uh, healthcare marketing. Anything to plug?
4: I'm always, I'm always happy to talk marketing. And anytime I can work in the Wright brothers, chess, golf, the Mets, uh, it's a good interview. (laughs) Wonderful.
3: Next, next time we need to spend more time talking about the Mets.
2: Yeah. Just more Mets
4: talk. Yeah.
2: Get that, that Mr. Met documentary. It was freaking wild. Awesome. Nick, thanks so much for, for hanging out and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, take care.
3: Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue generating superheroes. And let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in the show notes.